many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Superhuman Nation, thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of this Decoding Superhuman podcast. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into all things well, I guess you can say trendy at the moment in health. Uh, That includes ketosis in the ketogenic diet as well as fasting. My guest today is Siem Land. He is an Estonian author, high-performance coach, biohacker, and student of life in general. Siem has authored the following books, and there's quite a bit, so bear with me. Keto Bodybuilding, Keto Fasting, Target Keto, and Becoming a Self-Empowered Being. You can imagine some of the topics that we're getting into today. Seem has a bachelor's in sociocultural anthropology. He has a blog, a YouTube channel, and a podcast about human optimization and wellness called Body Mind Empowerment. In this episode, Seem and I discuss, well, you can probably guess some of these topics, but we get into what is self-empowerment, all things ketosis and fasting. This includes how to build muscle in ketosis, which is something that I honestly sometimes struggle with. And then Seam provides his top tricks, really, for peak performance, and so much more. You can find Seam at Seamland on all the socials, his YouTube channel, and podcast, as I mentioned before, called Body Mind Empowerment. Last but not least, there is the Biohackers Summit in Tallinn, Estonia on September 15th. Seema is a co-organizer of this one, and I encourage you all to check it out. I went last year to Helsinki. It's an absolute blast, and if you're into any sort of self-empowerment or self-improvement, this is the place in Europe for you. I'll link to all of this and everything that we discuss in this episode at the show notes, which are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash seam. That's S-I-I-M. And now, a word from our sponsor. As we cover topics like ketosis and fasting in this episode, you'll come to find that Seam and I both look forward to doing these types of things to our bodies in an effort to increase cognition, to increase focus. Well, another tool that I have in my little toolbox over here for increasing cognition is Qualia. Both Qualia and Qualia Mind have significantly upgraded my sovereignty. I encourage you to go check out the podcast with Jordan Greenhall if you want to really understand more about what that means. But Qualia in particular has become a staple in my supplement and nootropic stacks. And when I have a quote unquote get shit done day, Qualia is definitely by my side. Now, if you want to try out either Qualia or Qualia Mind, how could you do this? Well, Head over to neurohacker.com, use the coupon code BOOMER, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. If you're interested in a subscription, which I have an annual subscription to this one, you can get 15% off of subscriptions. So enjoy in good health, and now, on with the show. Sim, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to have you here. Well, it's it's so good to have you here. And I was actually introduced to your work by uh, what I think is a mutual friend, Timu Arina. So thank you for joining us for the show. You're based in Estonia, is that right? Yes, uh, I am in Estonia and uh, specifically in Saarema, which is the biggest island in Estonia, in the Baltic Sea. It's one of my favorite countries. I, I love visiting there. It kind of 
I kind of tie it in every year with a visit to the Biohackers uh, Summit. So beautiful country. But Sim, I want to get started on a lot of the work that you're producing because you're crushing content, you're producing a ton of work, and I find it immensely valuable. But one of the the themes of your content is this concept of self-empowerment. Do you mind explaining that to people and sort of what you mean by self-empowerment? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, um, in my opinion, well, it is something, one of the things that I focus mostly on because I feel like I myself embody it day by day. And that is a lot of, like what I strive to do with my daily activities and the content I produce as well. So the concept is, itself is quite simple. You know, if you dissect it into two components, then the self refers to you as an entity or you as a person or the everything that involves you specifically, your body, your mind. Your consciousness, basically, and empowerment means, if you translate it, then it would mean, you know, giving permission and, uh, you know, gaining the knowledge and uh, improving yourself and uh, also like becoming the greatest version of yourself. So yeah, if you combine all those things together, then it is this nonstop personal development and uh, self-growth in a nutshell. Excellent. Now, how did you get started down this path? Because I realize it, you're rel- you're very young, but there's a lot of people that don't get started on self-empowerment, self-actualization until much later on in life. What what caused you to sort of head down this road, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 def- definitely a lot of people tell me, yeah, yeah, that I'm so young and I've I've uh, managed to make some realizations or some improvements already. But generally, when I look back. And my history, then I would say that I've been an intrinsically motivated learner and uh, very curious about the world ever since I was a kid. And um, it's maybe maybe it has to do with simply being very inquisitive and uh, curious about all all nature around us, what it means to be human, what it means to have you know sentient experience, and uh, philosophizing over the meaning of life itself (laughs) even even when i was a very child i remember reading like socrates or things like that and that they kind of had some sort of a effect on me long term and uh, over the course of my teenage years i wasn't that in involved with it you know uh, as i as i am now but uh, i was still wanting to improve myself to some extent whether whether through working out getting good grades or reading a ton of reading and uh, me and my brother, we would also be very creative in the sense of we would, you know, fight fight each other with these imaginary battles of uh, sword fights, or we would we would, you know, draw things, and uh, we would constantly try to go on these journeys, you know, playing out different scenarios and uh, having fun. So it kind of coincides with this idea of uh, trying to become get better and embodying those heroes, these ancient heroes and myths. And uh, wanting to become like them in a sense as well. So, but that's what I think self empowerment in my, well, the biggest motivation for my self empowerment is to become a better hero for the, those around me as well and to spread the message of positive impact on the world. And uh, after, after my high school years, I also uh, enrolled in the military. So, that is where things got more serious in the sense of I had to focus more on training. I had to be more disciplined. And uh, that kind of also had a huge impact on me because uh, it kind of teaches you a lot of things. And it put it for me specifically, it put things into perspective quite a lot. Like uh, I realized that we're living in this very comfortable and uh, safe and secure modern society. And uh, there's this 
potential for disaster that can happen any moment, you know, whether that's war, famine, you know, natural disasters, some uh, asteroids hitting us or whatever it may be. I realized that I don't want to take these things for granted. And in order to keep my family and myself secure, then I have to, you know, live up to the greatest version of myself every day and to constantly grow myself. It's a beautiful message that you share with people. Now, Sim, you've written a number of books, and I'm amazed at the number of books that you've come out with at such a young age. How many books have you published so far? Uh, I would say that it's maybe like three or four and a half, <laughs> <laughs> because because some of some of the content is like is kind of overlap a little bit. For instance, like uh, there's these books like vegan vegan keto or vegetarian keto. I'm not really counting them as, as separate books because they're simply slightly nuanced and uh, they're like 90% of the content is the same. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but the best books or like real books that I've written are like keto bodybuilding, keto fasting. Uh, then it's intermittent fasting and feasting. And my first book was Becoming a Self-Empowered Being. So it's like, yeah, it's almost like five books in total if you, if you combine all the smaller ones as well. There, there's a theme among a lot of your more recent books of this concept of ketosis. Um, and just because we haven't addressed it too much on the show, I'm glad that you've come on because it's a very hot topic in the health world right now. Now, I guess the first question I have is, given your overall motivation of self-empowerment, what role does ketosis play in that? And if you don't mind uh, just defining kind of the ketogenic diet while you do that. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, Well, ketosis is this altered metabolic state uh, where your body's normal fuel source, which is glucose, will be shifted over into using like fat and ketone fuel. And usually it happens when you deplete your liver or you deplete your body's endogenous or inner carbohydrate stores, then you're eventually going to shift over to producing ketones from your adipose tissue and body fat. And it happens when you're in nature, it would happen when you're starving or when you're fasting. And in the modern world, it can be replicated with carbohydrate restriction and eliminating carbohydrates from a diet that is also going to allow your liver to start producing those ketone bodies eventually. And the ketogenic diet is just that. It's going to deplete your liver glycogen stores, which will then allow the liver to start producing ketone bodies from either the fat that you eat from the food or from your own adipose tissue again. So yeah, the ketogenic diet is a low-carb, high-fat and moderate protein diet that is going to shift you into this ketogenic fat-burning metabolic state that's going to provide an alternative fuel source uh, for the brain and uh, muscle tissue as well. And when it comes to self-empowerment and ketosis, then I think ketosis is like this very innate and natural state that our body actually thrives under. And uh, without ketosis, we probably wouldn't have survived the savannah or we wouldn't have survived ice ages. So it's like an in- invaluable survival mechanism for dealing with uh, deprivation of uh, nutrients and food. So there are also like many other health benefits to ketosis, like research is showing it's, it's used against you know, epilepsy, cancer, even uh, diabetes, obesity, and uh, many other chronic health issues that is so common in modern world. And uh, definitely like the cognitive benefits are also great neuroprotective benefits for the brain and ketones actually are better for the brain as a fuel source and more stable energy and reduced hunger. So if you're trying to you know, improve yourself as a person, then ketosis should be implemented into your 
diet strategy to some extent because you your brain literally or or your mind will always only function to the extent of how healthy you are and how clean your body is and how how well you can produce energy everything everything is connected to how well your mitochondria produ- can produce energy and what's the state of your gut and uh, if you're inflamed if you're bloated if you're diseased then you literally don't have uh, enough room for self-actualization like even in the maslow's hierarchy of needs the fundamental the foundation of the pyramid are the first physiological needs of uh, you know nutrition calories security safety and uh, then there's the other other pillars which which are like self-actualization and uh, social hierarchies mm-hmm. shout out to abraham maslow there right <laughs> now yeah, yeah. Uh, just in terms of your own experience with ketosis because i always ask people because we each have our individual benefits i checked myself on the ketone meter before getting on the line with you um, i'm in some mild form of nutritional ketosis but what sort of benefits have you personally experienced uh, it sounds you know given what you do all the time. It sounds like cognition is a, a big focus, but what personal benefits have you experienced? Uh, yeah, like I wasn't, I, I didn't have any like uh, health conditions or o- overweight issues before I started keto. I started it as a way of experimenting and uh, wanting to reap the longevity and the cognitive benefits indeed. Yeah. The biggest benefits that I've seen are like, you know, it's it's very easy to uh, not get hungry during the day and your energy levels energy levels are so stable and you, you're not really that dependent of consuming food or anything like that. You're always able to um, have enough energy to do your focus work. You don't even suffer any negative side effects of fatigue or exhaustion when you're exercising or something like that. You literally have like access to your own body fat and you can tap into those infinite sources of calories because even lean people with under 10% body fat, they still have like 50,000 calories with them all the time. So the problem is never that you don't have enough energy on your body. The problem is that your body doesn't know how to access that energy. And if there's this, some sort of a discrepancy or dichotomy or a bottleneck that is preventing you from uh, burning the, burning your body fat and ketosis conditions your body to know how to use that fat fuel. And uh, it's going to carry over to basically all aspects of your life and uh, starting from doing some sort of cognitively demanding work, reading, memorizing things or sleeping better or uh, exercising. And uh, definitely like the best benefits in my opinion are the freedom from food basically and the ability to uh, become more efficient with burning your own body fat. So we've talked a little bit about ketosis and some people may be wondering, uh, and you also Before I get into that, you mentioned one of the benefits that I find to be chiefly available, which is the metabolic flexibility. How do you coach people to get into ketosis? Because there's a lot out there on, particularly in the US, but also in Europe, uh, exogenous ketones as being a method of getting into it, but also uh, eating carb restrictive for a while as well as fasting. Is there Mm. any way that you particularly recommend and then probably uh, I'll ask you a second question on exogenous ketones here in a second. It would depend on the particular individual and uh, what's their metabolic condition and what's their training level and uh, lean muscle mass and what's their goals as well. But uh, in general, like the blueprint for becoming keto adapted is to first start eating the ketogenic diet and to condition your body to use fat as a fuel source because yeah it requires a short period of time where you need to eliminate the carbohydrates and to give your body a break in a sense of 
you have to get rid of the carbs so that your liver could start producing its own ketones over the course of some longer period of time. It involves some, uh, some, some of the other digestive pathways or digestive enzymes have to be also uh, reconstructed in the liver. So eventually you will learn how to burn more fat at uh, higher intensities of exercise and uh, even like, yeah, even, even gain some of the benefits of, you know, building muscle with it. And uh, it's, it's, it simply requires a longer period of time for that to happen. So what I generally recommend people to do is get rid of all the processed carbohydrates, fructose even, and fruit, avoid it as well. Some starchy tubers, eliminate all those grains and uh, legumes, you know, peas, everything, everything that has a uh, higher amounts of carbohydrates have to be eliminated. And what you eat instead are these low carb vegetables like broccoli, cabbage and spinach and things like that. And uh, some fatty, fatty meats, some steak, uh, beef, eggs, fish and those sorts of things. And, add, and uh, as an additional fat source, you would add things like butter, olive oils and MCT oils and those are things like that. You can... Uh, accelerate keto adaptation and you can accelerate getting into ketosis by fasting for many days in a row but it's not going to be that ideal if you're doing it for the first time i would recommend people to eat a low-carb keto diet for at least a few days before trying any extended fast mm -hmm. because if you are coming off from a carb-based metabolism then uh, is first of all it's much more difficult for you to fast and uh Secondly, you're also more prone to muscle catabolism because of that, because you're so carb dependent. So using that shorter, a few days of eating keto beforehand, it acts like a buffer zone or a preparation for, for the longer fast. So yeah, generally eat, eat keto for a few days, then you can have like a longer fast to really ramp up that ketone production and get into ketosis. And after the fast, you still have to continue eating like a well-structured keto diet and then, you know, implement some exercise into it to even force and force burning fat even more. Siem, what's your opinion on exogenous ketones? Because these have become quite the rage in the supplement industry lately. What's your view? Uh, yeah, exogenous ketones are these, basically they're like the supplements, ketone body supplements uh, specifically this one ketone body called beta-hydroxybutyrate that is attached to different kinds of salts like sodium, magnesium, potassium, or calcium. So the idea is that if you consume them as a supplement, then you're going to elevate your blood ketones and you're going to hypothetically be in ketosis. Well, the problem is that uh, there's a difference between endogenous ketosis, which is coming from your inside, in, inside your body, and exogenous ketosis, which is coming from a supplement. When you're taking exogenous ketones, then uh, you're inhibiting your liver's endogenous production of its own ketones. And that's going to suppress, it's going to suppress, you know, first of all, it's going to suppress fat burning. And second of all, it's, gonna, it's not going to put you into ketosis for the long term. You're going to only have like elevated level of uh, ketone bodies in your blood as long as those supplements are in your bloodstream as well. As long as that supplement runs out, then you're going to basically go back into what you were before, whether that be if, you, if you've done keto for long term, then you're going to go back to that same level that you were before. And if, you, if you've eaten a carb-based diet, then you're going to you know, fall, back, fall out of ketosis after the supplement runs out. So definitely exogenous ketones aren't a miracle supplement that are going to make you burn fat and uh, put you into ketosis for the long term. They can be used in some circumstances as a performance assistant or to at least uh, provide some fuel source mm -hmm. during, the, during the initial period when you may feel slightly taxed from energy but they're not they're not uh, as miracle drug as people say they are and definitely they're not the fat loss supplement as well because they literally shut down 
the liver's ability to convert its own body fat into energy and you're only burning those exogenous ketones, not your own body fat. So as a fat loss supplement, they're definitely not worth it. And they're hugely overpriced as well in terms of fat. <laughs> like literally, they, they cost maybe like 10 times more than the actual manufacturing cost or something like that. And the people are selling them because they're like really hyped up and uh, overvalued in a sense. They can be used like definitely as a performance assistant for athletes and things like that. But if you're taking them when you're sitting on a couch or something like that, then you're literally not burning any body fat for at least uh, for at least as long as those supplements are in your bloodstream. Yeah, you can't really outsource the work that you need to do, right? Um, yeah. So just on that, so my understanding of the ketone supplements is that there's salts and esters. Does what you just say apply to both salts and esters or just to salts in particular? Well, I haven't, I haven't uh, experimented a lot with the esters, mm-hmm. but uh, from a metabolic perspective, I would say they would work the same way because they're simply going to elevate the ketones and uh, eventually it's, it's going to still run out. Like even though the ketone esters are going to raise your ketone bodies by like a lot more than the, than the BHP salts, then it's not going to stay there for like the rest of the day or yeah. something. It's going to eventually still run out. It's not permanent, right? Yeah. So... One aspect of the ketogenic diet that a lot of people don't like, uh, in particular when they're first starting, is the keto flu. Uh, mm. I've seen a YouTube video that you put together on how to avoid the keto flu. Do you mind just giving people a few tips on how to uh, on how to avoid that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like uh, the keto flu is one of the scariest things that people experience during the keto diet, and it's one of those things that makes them quit as well. So usually the keto flu happens because uh, the body's undergoing a small energy crisis in terms of not uh, knowing how to burn its own body fat, essentially. And another one of the issue is because uh, the body actually loses some of its, or it tends to lose some of the uh, electrolytes that it holds on to when you're eating a copy's diet. When you're eating carbohydrates, then you're also going to experience slightly higher levels of insulin and blood sugar just by virtue of eating carbohydrates. So that makes the kidneys hold onto more water and, uh, and uh, it's also going to hold onto these minerals like magnesium, potassium and calcium and uh, sodium and others. So if you're avoiding carbohydrates or eliminating them completely, then you're going to have lower insulin, lower blood sugar, and that's going to make the kidneys release more water you're going to hold on to less water you're going to maybe become dehydrated that's another issue why you feel tired and you also if you're excreting a lot of water then you're also excreting the electrolytes so yeah definitely it can be fixed or avoided by increasing your sodium intake and uh, adding some other electrolytes into your diet as well and uh, you know one of the easiest ways is, is to simply salt your food maybe you can take some magnesium supplements some potassium supplements things like bone broth bouillon cubes, pickle juice, sauerkraut, fermented foods, those things are very salty and uh, they definitely can be uh, useful for having more energy during the initial period. And definitely like if you're eating a low-carb diet, then you would want to be consuming more sodium by default because you don't hold on to it. And it's not going to raise your blood pressure either because of low insulin. And uh, other things that are also essential are like things like sleep, and, uh, you know, getting exposure to natural sunlight, those things are all very, very important. And it's not just diet that is uh, making you feel a certain way, or it's, it's not just diet or nutrition that is 
influencing your mitochondria's ability to produce energy. Everything is connected with it. Your environment, your relationships, your emotions, your exercise, your sleep patterns, those things are quite uh, essential as well. And I want to go into that a little bit more And when we talk about your routine, because I saw something very interesting on your routine. One of the reasons why I reached out to you and I told you this right away is keto bodybuilding and really just keeping muscle on or actually adding muscle when you're in ketosis. Because personally, I found that if I add more carbohydrates to my diet, I I can put on muscle relatively quick, but how do you do it personally? And I'll link to the book in the show notes, but how do you do it personally where you're able to add muscle in ketosis? Are you eating more of like a modified Atkins? So do you elevate protein levels or how do you do it? There are like many ways you can add muscle on, on keto. Like for instance, I'm going to first go like what what are the requirements for building muscle? And then I'm going to give you like the different strategies. So the four conditions for building muscle are adequate training stimulus, which is basically you have to cause damage to muscles and uh, do some resistance training, you lift weights or do bodyweight exercises, whatever it may be. Secondly, you have to eat enough protein to stimulate protein synthesis. So it could be used for building new tissue. Thirdly, you need to have the right hormones like testosterone and growth hormone and uh, things like that. And also like the last bit is uh, consume extra calories so that you would have, you know, adequate amounts of energy. In terms of lifting heavy stuff, then you can do it quite easily in a sense of it's, it's very common amongst bodybuilders too that you need to squeeze the living juice out of every rep and set. But in reality, the, <laughs> the key for getting stronger and building muscle is to get stronger. And uh, that can be done gradually as a long-term thing. The main components of building muscle on keto is to get stronger and lift some heavy weights and then eat enough food in the form of some protein and uh, other macronutrients. So you don't really need carbohydrates to trigger muscle protein synthesis. The key to activating muscle protein synthesis is, uh, is this amino acid called leucine, which, is, which can be found in you know, all the keto-friendly foods like eggs and meats and, and so on. So generally, you would mainly want to focus on getting your uh, daily protein intake and uh, you don't even have to worry about eating carbohydrates or spiking your insulin with those. So generally, what I recommend people to do is to aim for about 0.8 to 1.0 grams per pound of lean body mass for protein. Because, yeah, the truth is that the strict therapeutic ketogenic diet is quite low in protein or it's very restricted and uh, it's not optimal for building muscle or anything like that. Most people, they don't even need to pay attention to their ketone levels that much or they don't need to worry about getting kicked out of ketosis. And they, they can safely consume slightly more protein, which can have like a contributing effect to uh, slightly more protein synthesis and uh, building muscle. So if you're trying to focus on building muscle and strength and you don't have diabetes or epilepsy, then you can safely consume slightly more protein on keto and uh, not even have to worry about it. Calculating lean body mass, the way I traditionally do it is with a DEXA scan. But for somebody that doesn't have that, would you recommend getting calipers or just sort of a body fat measurement? Yeah, like you can always go into the minutia and get caught up with the details. <laughs> like in reality, it's unless you're like a professional athlete or you have like a physique competition, then it's not 
something that I would want to pay attention to just because of the, you know, distractions or something like that. But yeah, generally you can kind of guesstimate your body fat percentage as well and then subtract it from your current body weight. In my case, I weigh around 76 kilograms and my guesstimate body fat percentage is around 10 or something around there. Then yeah, it's going to be about about seven, seven and a half kilos will be my body fat. So my lean body mass would be maybe like 69 or 70 kilos. Mm -hmm. Now, the question that's on everybody's mind, actually, and people that are sort of staring this at this from the outside, is ketosis for everybody? Yeah, it's a good question. Like it is, it has been shown to be very effective for treating a lot of diseases. And it's been shown to be even a lot of comparative studies also show that low carbohydrate diets are better for weight loss actually uh, at least for in terms of adherence generally i would recommend for everyone to do the keto diet at least once just to kind of build up their fat burning metabolism and uh, teach their mitochondria to produce ketone or to use ketones for energy and to teach the liver to create these uh, fat burning uh, pathways inside of it so the problem is that in the modern world, we don't really tap into these ketogenic pathways because we have like access to food all the time. We rarely even fast. We have high amounts of sugar in our diets and all those things that are going to inhibit the body's endogenous ability to produce its own ketones and, and to use it. So yeah, definitely. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a shame, in my opinion, because uh, ketosis is such an invaluable part of our evolution and uh, it's such a powerful tool for our physiology. So you can only benefit from it by at least, you know, adapting to it for, for at least like once and then kind of cycling on and off of it. You don't, you don't need to do it, you know, year round all the time, but it's generally a good idea to have these periods of low carb dieting, of fasting, and maybe, yeah, it's, it's also a good idea to shake things up and uh, eat some carbs again. So, so it's, it's, it's uh, very primary in my opinion. Okay, so for you, and just asking sort of in your everyday life, how, if you give percentages, what percentage are you in sort of ketosis versus, or following a ketogenic diet versus, I, I guess, either carb backloading or just sort of in a normal, what we call a normal diet these mm, days? Yeah, I would say like um, I'm probably eating a keto diet 90% of the time. Whenever I do Get, uh, eat something different than it would be something along the lines of a single carb backloading meal post-workout, maybe like a few times per month or something like that at max. Uh, because generally I don't feel, after so many years of doing it, you kind of get better at it even the longer you do it as well. And uh, you, you start to feel uh, even better with using simply fat and you become less dependent of carbohydrates even. But every once in a while, I think use I still use it as a way to promote metabolic flexibility and uh, to not lose the ability to metabolize carbohydrates either. So yeah, it's, it's, it's never a good idea to go straight into one direction completely and uh, block yourself from all the other possibilities because it's going to make you more susceptible to variation. I think one of the key benefits I see to ketosis is that metabolic flexibility. Yeah. Uh, my only questioning on people who go into a ketogenic diet is how they do it because there's certain percentage of the population, for instance, that we know from genetic testing that won't benefit well from things like butter or saturated fat in general. Mm. But I, I'm fully supportive of those who are willing to try for the metabolic flexibility. And frankly, I love it. I mean, it's just a great way to enhance cognition, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. 
One of the other points you mentioned, and we've kind of danced around a little bit, was fasting. Do you mind taking us through sort of how you fast? I've seen a few videos of you doing prolonged fasts. Um, I would love to hear just sort of one, why 16-8 versus something like a five-day fast? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like fasting, fasting is uh, one of the best ways of inducing ketosis and one of the most natural ways of doing it. And uh, hunter-gatherers, they wouldn't eat a keto diet or something. They would go into ketosis just by virtue of fasting and uh, not eating anything. So yeah, like fasting is even more natural in this sense and something that we don't really do anymore. And in terms of different types of fasts, the effect of the fast is going to depend on the length of it, definitely. And uh, also what's, what's the reason for the fast? What's the purpose of it? If you are doing it, as a way of simply restricting your time when you're eating like along the lines of the 16 and 8 hour or the warrior diet with 20 hours of fasting and 4 hours of eating then it's a it's a it's a very good way to kind of confine yourself to give give yourself some positive restriction as to be more productive during the day as to prevent overeating at uh, with your calories daily calories and also feeling more satiated with the food that you eat i would say that you definitely don't need to eat like 3 square meals a day because yeah, well, at least one of them is gonna be. He's gonna be. What, what about six? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a crazy. The more, one, the, right? more the better. Yeah. yeah. Like it's gonna be. It's gonna be uh, not. It's, it's not gonna do you any good. And uh, chances are that it's gonna be metabolized inefficiently. I would also always suggest that at least you know the minimum. I would suggest everyone to do is the sixteen and eight hour window every day, no matter what, because. You, you rarely really even go into a fasted state overnight if you, let's say, you eat dinner at 8 o'clock at, uh, at night time. And then it's going to take you at least an additional 4 to 6 hours for your body to digest the food that you ate last night. So you only actually start fasting in the middle of the night somewhere between. So when you wake up in the morning, then you haven't actually gone into a fasted state and you haven't reaped any of the metabolic uh, benefits like uh, reducing inflammation, giving your digestive system a break, and uh, and also like activating the autophagy aspect of it, which is like cellular recycling of old cells into new cells. So yeah, definitely 16 and 8 is the minimum I would recommend everyone to do. And the longer you kind of go on from there, then the more health benefits are you going to get from the fast. Uh, things like you know more autophagy, more stem cell growth, reduced inflammation even more. And uh, they actually say that the greatest benefits of fasting come from these extended fasts that last for longer than 48 hours. And so that's when the autophagy and stem cells really start to uh, be mobilized. And also like three days of fasting is going to reset your immune system. So yeah, I always try to implement at least... Uh, one of these longer fasts for three to five days or something like that every quarter of the year at least at minimum Mm -hmm. to kind of keep myself healthy to keep my metabolism more flexible as well and to you know boost longevity like it's one of the best anti-aging strategies in my opinion there is a lot of uh, research showing that it's gonna help with uh, fighting cancer tumors all these diseases and uh, like Hippocrates himself said that you know, fasting is the is the best medicine, or something along the lines of that. So, like in my opinion, fasting can be used for you know so many other things, and I definitely encourage people to try it out at least in some shape or form. 
if people want to check this out, there's a book called The Longevity Diet by Walter Longo. He goes into a lot of the research on this, as well as sort of the fast mimicking diet, which I think is a separate discussion for another time. Yeah. But uh, one of the videos that I love of yours, Seaman, and I'll link to this in the show notes, is how you break your fast. Do you mind talking a little bit about the use of apple cider vinegar and lemon water? Yeah, sure. Like, uh, I recall this quote from George Bernard Shaw, which is like, every fool can fast, but only a wise man knows how to break it or something like that. So yeah, it's 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 equally as important to know how to break a fast than it is to how to do it. So you definitely don't want to start eating anything random and cause more gut distress or something like that, because yeah, you've been avoiding food and you need to kind of ease into it in a strategic way to promote the right digestive enzymes and uh, to mobilize the gut microbiome in a sense. So what I generally recommend is to start off with this hot lemon water with some some actual lemon squeezed into the water and uh, maybe like two to three tablespoons of apple cider vinegar into it, mixed into it. And that's going to be really good for the digestive enzymes. It's going to promote blood flow in the gut as well. It's going to activate you know, certain receptors in the intestine walls as well. And that's going to help you to absorb the food better. It's going to help you to digest it. And uh, it's going to prevent any constipation or some sort of a dysbiosis in the feeding phase afterwards. So that's the first thing you would want to always break a fast with. And I, I would I would even suggest you can do it. I consume like apple cider vinegar every day. Like even if I'm doing like daily intermittent fasting, then I'm still going to take it before my meals. And uh, I'm still going to take it after my meals as well. So it's a, good, it's a good way to lower blood sugar and lower insulin. So yeah, it's, it's like a generally a very good, healthy addition to the diet. Okay, so fasting is similar to ketosis. Should we be doing it every day? Or is it one of those things, 16-8 fasting, one could argue we can do every day, but is it good to take a break and sort of do this in cycles? And if so, how would you cycle fasting? In theory, it is a good idea to keep your body guessing and uh, to cycle everything you do in terms of nutrition, at least to like small variations. But in my opinion, like you don't really need to cycle off the daily intermittent fasting of 16 and 8 or something, because like I mentioned, it's not really fasting, <laughs> like it's simply time-restricted feeding where you're simply confining your eating window. Like you, you, you really don't start fasting only you start fasting only in the middle of the night and by noon time, it's like 12 or 14 hours, which, which isn't that long. It's simply like you skip a meal <laughs> and mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to have any negative side effects or something. And, uh, adding an additional, additional meal as a breakfast or something is not going to have any additional benefit either. It may have to do with if, if you're trying to really boost your metabolism or if you're coming off a really starvation diet or something like that, then it can be a good idea to eat more frequently just because you need to nourish your body. But for the general population, I don't really see the need to be eating uh, or to add like this cycling of the fasting. General population in the United States, 33% of people are obese. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, all right, Sim, let's turn our attention a little bit to your routine because uh, there is a blog post on Aura, which I know uh, they're right across the water from you guys, but I, I happen to get along well with the guys from Aura. I've had Chuck Hazard on the podcast before, and I, I love your daily routine. 
Do you mind just taking us through sort of how your mornings look? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I kind of love to have this very structured daily routine because I think like it's the se- it's my secret to being productive and getting things done while at the same time doing it in a very stress-free manner and getting more results with less effort, which is like biohacking in a sense. And uh, what I what my daily routine or morning routine looks like is that after I wake up, then I'm going to go outside, definitely. That's the most important part, to go outside and expose myself to the elements and and get some natural sunlight into my system. To It's going to offset the proper circadian rhythm and uh, that's going to help me to sleep better at night. It's going to you know, activate all the other metabolic processes and hormones. So it's incredibly important to keep yourself in sync with the actual daily circadian rhythm where you're living. And uh, when I go outside, then I maybe do some, maybe a few breathing exercises, some stretching just to get the blood moving again and um, to mobilize myself. After that, I will come back inside, maybe meditate, or I, I will definitely meditate, but I'm, I might do it like, I, I'm. sometimes I do it on my acupuncture mattress, sometimes I do it while sitting down, depends on the day, how I feel. After that, I will then use uh, this uh, red light therapy device that I have, and uh, it's, gonna, it's a really good way to uh, promote this mitochondrial functioning, it's going to reduce inflammation again, and uh, skin health, and it's another one of those great tools we can use to optimize our health. I'm going to ask a few more sort of specific questions because I like to tease these things out, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, all right. Going back to the time spent outside, how long are you outside for? Um, and is there, are you doing this barefoot? I, I imagine for the earthing benefits or other reasons? Uh, yeah. Like um, I'm going to go outside like straight from the bed so yeah, I would be like barefoot and uh, with only my underwear. So, <laughs> luckily, I live on the countryside, so there's no other people to <laughs> look around. I do it in the middle of Amsterdam, so it's uh... <laughs> so okay. Going outside, what about your breathing exercises? What uh, any specific breathing exercises that you're doing? I will, I usually do like simple deep breathing and uh, into the diaphragm, in through the nose, and uh, out through the mouth or something. I don't have like a specific breathing exercise that I'm doing, like the Wim Hof method or something like that, unless I'm I'm specifically trying to do it as a way of, uh, I don't know, oxygenizing myself for some reason. But it's not in my routine that I do every day. But yeah, I do like maybe a few deep breaths, a few cycles of some deep breaths. And uh, usually it may also involve some yoga movements. Like maybe I, I start off at a, like a deep squat and as I inhale through the nose, then I maybe like rise up to the top and uh, raise my arms above my head as well. And as I'm exhaling, I'm going back into the deep squat. So it's, it resembles like this sort of a really thorough breathing uh, cycle. And that last question from that one is the red light device that you use. Are you using Juve? Are you using Sauna Space? Which one do you use? Or did you construct your own? <laughs> I wish I, I wish I could do it like uh, but yeah I'm using um, this brand uh, Red Light Man from the United Kingdom so okay. yeah they have a really pretty good uh, device and it's cheaper than the Juve so then. it's cl- closer as well so you can avoid the shipping yeah exactly the the Juve device is a little little pricey that's for yeah sure. yeah well it's well like the, they're the most popular ones so they can mm-hmm. they have their authority so it seemed this has been super helpful, but I have final questions for you in terms of just questions that I ask 
all of our guests. My first question is, is what's your top trick that you use to enhance focus? I would say that by default, my, my best ability to stay focused is simply going through sheer, sheer amounts of repetition in terms of trying to stay focused. I've been writing my blog for like four years. I've been doing uh, YouTube videos for nearly two years and I've been doing it like every day, <laughs> every day, every morning. The first hours of my day are always spent doing some sort of deep work where I'm uh, focusing hard on uh, this this one thing, whatever it may be, like a video or a blog post or or doing some research, whatever it may be. And I'm always very deliberate about it and uh, conscientious in terms of avoiding all distractions, eliminating them completely, keeping myself in this uh, Jedi-like concentration mode that is uh, li- literally like I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself different affirmations in terms of directing my focus and keeping my phone on airplane mode. And I believe like that's, that's the ability of reconstructing your brain networks and mm-hmm. through the process of neuroplasticity. And after, a f- after so many years of doing it, I've simply built up this ability to stay focused no matter what, as long as I simply say that it's go time and uh, I you know, turn on the blinders, so to say. Uh, what's your favorite book on peak performance? Uh, I would say that it's going to be Flow by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. So it's a book about flow, this optimal state of consciousness where you're so immersed by the task you're doing. And that's really had a good impact on me because, yeah, I, I gained the insight of how, how can I go into this creative genius mode where I'm so immersed by the thing that I'm doing that nothing else matters. And I've always, that's my purpose with, with all these deep work sessions that I'm doing every day. I want to go into flow. I want to go into the rabbit hole so deep that uh, I'm going to get lost in there and who knows what's going to be discovered. That's where all my best will come from. Something so dedicating it to my subconscious mind to do the work for me. Almost. It's very cool. I, I mean, I like the fact that you're going back to the research because Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi was the guy who discovered flow or at least yeah. uh, published on it. So that book in particular, I love it. It's a, yeah. a little bit more dry than stealing fire per se, but it's, <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Um, he has, he has many other books as well. Like in addition to flow, like he has researched it a lot, like creativity and flow. Then there's books like the orthothelic person or something, which translates to this person who is doing something just because of the intrinsic motivation he gets from it. Mm -hmm. He's doing the art just for the sake of the art, not for getting the results or getting some sort of achievement. This has been fantastic. Uh, Thank you for covering everything ketosis, fasting. uh, And frankly, your morning routines are fascinating to me. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, Yeah, like it's been a pleasure talking to you as well and I really enjoyed it. So my website is uh, seamlund.com. You can find me on YouTube as well, Seamland, and uh, my bo- my own podcast is a Body Mind Empowerment with Seamland. So it's Seamland on all the on the social platforms. Beautiful. We'll link to all of this in the show notes. Seam, thank you again for taking the time. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'll see you. I'll see you around. Awesome. To all the superhumans out there for listening, thank you so much. 
Superhuman amigos, one last plug before we go. Remember, Biohacker Summit in Tallinn, Estonia on September 15th. You're combining two of my favorite things, which is biohacking and Tallinn, which is an amazing city and actually a very, very healthy city. And you should all go. September 15th. We'll link to that one in the show notes. Again, the show notes are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash seam. That's S-I-I-M. And also... If you want to leave a review in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, if they even take reviews, it would be really appreciated because we're having experts like Simon all the time, and it does help to get the word out. So thank you so much for listening once again, and have an epic day.